الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف المرسلين سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين بلاذ براذ السسلس يالدز الإسلام Life is not easy It was not designed to be easy It was designed to be a test And by the very definition of a test It must be testing So there needs to be a certain degree of difficulty A test of what exactly? A test of your faith and commitment to Allah Allah says in Surah Al-Ankhabut verses 2 to 3 أحسب الناس أن يتركوا ويقولوا آمنا وهم لا يفتنون Did the people really think that they would be left to say that we are people of Iman who have accepted the way of Iman and that they would not be tested? This claim that you are a mu'min that you are a true believer it is a mighty claim and by Allah this claim is not accepted at face value the fact that you are merely saying it is not enough you will have to prove it to Allah and Allah tells us further وَلَقَدْ فَتَنَّ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ and surely and indeed we have tested all those before them because this is the way of this claim فَلَيَعْلَمَنَّ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ صَدَقُوا وَلَيَعْلَمَنَّ الْكَاذِبِينَ so that Allah might know via real observation, via you doing it in Allah, seeing and knowing it, so that Allah might know what? Alladina sadaqu. Those who are truthful in their claim. الكاذبين, and so that Allah might know those who have lied, who have paid it only lip service. As such, my dear brother and sister in Islam, Everything that you say, everything that you do, it does not matter how insignificant, it forms part and parcel of this great test that is your life. There is a right way to doing it, and there is a wrong way. There is a way to pass, and there is a way to fail. There is no way to escape the test. Do, and you are subject to valuation. Refrain from doing, and you are equally subject to valuation. Both action and inaction either earns you merits or it earns you demerits. Also, you are being tested, and this is the focus of today's Jumu'ah, both with the good and the bad. Not the bad alone, as most of us think. We know that when we are afflicted with adversity, with death of a loved one, with illness, that we are being tested. But how many of us know that when we are blessed with good fortune, that it also is a test? <coughs> Allah says in the Quran, Surah Al-Anbiya, verse 35, كُلُّ نَفْسٍ ذَائِقَةُ الْمَوْتِ Every soul shall taste death, the death of its body. That's why it is merely tasting. Its body will die, it will suffer the experience of the death of its body, but then it will move on to the next world. But then Allah says, وَنَبْلُوكُمْ بِالشَّرِّ وَالْخَيْرِ فِتْنَةِ We will surely test you 
with bad and with good. Why with good? It will be a temptation. It will be a means of leading you away from Allah. And in the end, you should be focused and you should remember, وَإِلَيْنَا تُرْجَعُونَ That unto Allah will be your return. A day will come when you will be questioned with whatever happened in your life, the good and the bad of it. And whether you were given it the appropriate response. How will I be tested with the good? Can you give me some examples? Can you give me some solutions? So the first test will be, will you acknowledge that the good that you are, maybe your handsomeness, your intelligence, the riches that you possess, somehow the power and prestige that you have amongst men, will you acknowledge that that is the favor of Allah and not the product of your own efforts? And it does not matter the amount of effort on your side prior to this good fortune. As the world of natural cause and effect is no more than an illusion. Dunya is no more than a ghurur. In the end, Allah is the only true giver. And Allah is the only true taker. As we learn in Jamaat, nothing does, only Allah does. He does with means, He does without means. He does against means. Allah sa wata he. The same Urdu. It all comes from Allah in the end. So will you first and foremost acknowledge and admit that? Secondly, will you be suitably thankful to Allah? So appreciation to Him that He has selected you to be the recipient of this gift. And Allah reminds us in the Quran when Allah says, Imma shakiran. There are only two types of humans, those who are thankful and those who are severely ungrateful. If you know Arabic, you would notice that when Allah says shakir, he does not use the hyperbole, the mubalaka form. But when he says kafur, he uses the hyperbole, the mubalaka form. For it to have been equal, should have said shakuran or kafura, but Allah says shakiran. And in kafura, if I had to keep the shakira, I would have said shakiran or kafiran. So there's something in this that Allah is telling us. Allah is telling us that even if I take my entire lifetime and I spend my entire life in the full worship of Allah, from the day that I'm born until the day I die, I will not have given Allah the thanks that He is worthy of. He's greater than that. And even if I am to be ungrateful to Allah for merely a second of my life, of my life, then I'm just, I'm not just ungrateful, I am severely ungrateful. Because during that second, everything that I was, the energy that I used to be ungrateful, all of that came from Allah. I used Allah to be ungrateful to Allah. Allahu Akbar. You understand? I couldn't even be ungrateful to Allah without Him. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. There's no turning. There's no power except by the grace of Allah. Even that, my ability to have made that decision, that was by the grace of Allah. So it is not just ingratitude. It is ultimate ingratitude. Secondly, 
after confessing and acknowledging that it all comes from Allah, what this good that you have, your handsomeness, your power, your wealth, will you, after being thankful now, will you use this gift in the service and obedience of Allah? Or will you use it to disobey Him? Will it be a means of remembering Allah, entering into Zikrullah? Or will it be a means of diversion away from Allah and your true purpose? And here there are many verses in the Quran where Allah reminds us of this. Such as in Surah Al-Takathur, a verse that we recite regularly. Alhaakumu al-Takathuru hatta zurtumul maqabir. Your amassment of worldly things, worldly means, worldly pleasures, worldly delights, the goodnesses of this world, it has the potential of diverting you from Allah. It has the potential of diverting you from your true purpose, which is the worship of Allah. But this sin, it can only continue until you go to visit the grave. Notice also that Allah does not say until you go to stay in the grave. Allah is reminding you that your time in the grave, whether it be a few hundred years, whether it be a few thousand years, will be a mere visit to the eternality that is the akhirah that awaits you. And Allah knows best. So this is with regards to passing the test of good. How do we pass the test when afflicted with adversity? Passing the test of good required acknowledgement that Allah is the giver. It required thanks. And it required zikrullah. Being in the remembrance of Allah, using that ni'mah, that favor, to remember Allah. How do we pass the test when I'm afflicted with adversity? So number one, do not allow yourself to fall into despair. Because despair is the way of those who have no hope. While you are a believer, and your hope is Allah. Whosoever shall place his reliance on Allah, will find that Allah will suffice him. And why not? Who is Allah? Is he not the creator of all things? Is he not the destroyer of all things? Whatever is in your world that is causing you this pain and adversity, what is it? When you belong to Hezbollah, the party of Allah, that party that never loses, that party that has Allah at his side. My dear brother, even if you are facing your greatest enemy, the enemy not only of you, but of your kind. The enemy of the first of your kind, the enemy of your species, uh, who is? Shaitan. The man or the being, that when your father was about to be created, he was commanded to prostrate and he refused. And as a result, he was cursed to everlasting hell. So he has a personal gripe with you, humanity. And he wants each and every member of humanity to join him in hell. This year is your greatest enemy, Shaitan. He is your Adu'um Mubin, your clear-cut enemy. And even if you are facing him, what are you told in the Quran to do? 
If Nazgum and a shaitan, he takes hold of you. Sometimes somehow shaitan is tempting you. Then what must you do? You must seek refuge by Allah. I like to make example of this. <laughs> by the similitude of a postman. We have a postman. We must deliver letters. And in this one particular house, we must deliver the letter for some unknown reason. The post box is not by the gate. The post box is by the door. So he has to open the gate. Then he has to go down the walkway and come to the door of the house and deliver the letter. But there's this big, massive black dog on the lawn. It's tight. You understand? So it supposedly cannot reach him. It supposedly cannot reach him. But every day, there's this competition between the dog and the postman. The postman, believing that he's quite young, powerful, very fast also, you understand, tells himself, Ah man, this dog is wasting its time. How can this dog catch me? So every day he rushes quickly through the yard, he delivers the letter, and he goes. Every day the dog attempts. The dog is tired, but the dog must attempt. It is in the nature of the dog to want to bite. It is in the nature of the postman not to want to be bitten. The postman plans, the dog plans. And apparently the postman wins every day. But as we know what life is like, a day will come when the dog's plan will work. A day will come where for some reason or the other, the dog will not be tight. The postman will not be fast enough. The postman will not be clever enough. And when he enters into the yard, he enters into the domain of the dog. And that will be the end of him. There was a simpler solution. Instead of putting your strength and your speed and your what and what against this dog, you should have realized that this dog had a master, an owner. And before you, the postman, enters the yard, you should have just stood by the gate and said, Hey, who are you on fast, man? You believe with the brief deliver, you are on fast, So in a like manner, Shaitan, despite who he thinks he is, is no more than the creation of Allah. Allah is his master, as he is your master. So do not attempt the fight with Shaitan alone. Call the master of the dog, and say, please, master, tie your dog. Tie your dog. If that is your manner, then you will never, ever lose. But if your manner is that you depend upon your speed, you depend upon your agility, then a day will come when it will fail you. Especially when we think of the fact that this dog has been along, around for a long, long time. It knows every trick under the sun. And yeah, I want to, just for a moment now, I'm, I'm diverting for a, for a moment, but I want you to just think of this. I've gone to court a few times with a traffic ticket. And then, since we are humans, we come up with excuses. Why the judge should release us from the ticket? Why should he reduce the fee? Allah knows best. And as you're sitting over there, you're supposed to be there early, 
You don't exactly know when they're going to when they will ask you. You understand? So as you're sitting over there, you're telling yourself, I have a unique excuse. I don't think the judge has ever heard an excuse like mine. It's going to be very convincing. You understand? So when he hears it, he's immediately going to scrap my ticket or he's going to reduce it. And why are you sitting there and waiting for your name to be called? You hear your excuse 10, 12 times. Now that's in the court of a judge. Satan's been around. You understand? He's been around since our father, Nabi Adam, up till now. And he's going to be around till the last of us. He's heard it all, my friend. So whatever trick you've got up your sleeve, I don't think so. I don't think so. Us fighting Shaitan alone, that's a lost cause. We need the help of Allah. So don't fall into despair. None loses hope in the mercy of Allah, except a disbelieving nation, Allah says in the Quran. If you believe in Allah, if Allah is really your friend, if Allah is really your Lord, then you should be able to, uh, to depend upon him. So you must apply the law of tawakkul. What is the law of tawakkul? Now here there are two tawakkuls. There's a fake tawakkul and there's a genuine tawakkul. There's the tawakkul of the lazy. And then there's the tawakkul of the true believer. The lazy, they do nothing. And then you ask him, so what are you doing? When are you going to do it? Ekmaat tawakkul. Hmm. Did nothing, planned nothing, but ikmaq tawakkul. And the tawakkul of the true believer is that he makes use of the natural means. He does everything that is within his natural ability as a human being. And then beyond that, he places his reliance and trust in Allah. Oh Allah, deals with ikkantun. This is what I am able to do, oh Allah. The rest of it, oh Allah, the rest of it lies with you. This is what I am able to do. The rest of it lies with you. That is a true tawakkul. So when difficulty strikes you, then do what you must as a believer. And beyond that, place your trust in Allah. I just lost my wife to death. I just lost my husband to death. I just lost my business. My house just burned down. Do what you can to save what you can. If it is you lost a family member, you are entitled to grief in accordance with the teachings of Islam. You are entitled to grieve. But there comes a time when we must give way to that grief, when we must move on. And Allah knows best. B. After tawakkul, then do what comes naturally to all of humanity, even to sinners. And that is call unto Allah for you. Doesn't Allah give us examples in the Quran of people who have abandoned him? But then when they are in the ocean and a storm comes up and waves as large as mountains, waves that look like clouds are over the boats, you understand? Then what do the people do? Even the disbeliever, at that moment in time, what does he do? He suddenly calls out. He's been in arguments with people as to whether there's a God and there's no God. 
And using his best logic, he's come to the conclusion there is no God. But suddenly in a moment of utmost despair, of utmost distress, he's got no way out. Suddenly he calls out. Suddenly he calls out. And I've given you an example of this. A long time ago, to remind you. There's a story floating on the internet. I don't think it's true. But it does illustrate something. So let's try it. They say there used to be a man that used to climb the mountain without using any ropes. Freehand climbing. And he used to climb normally in the late afternoon, just before sunset. But he always used to make it back in time. So it wasn't a problem. But one day he was slightly delayed. And as he was climbing, the sun started setting. And he realized that now he's got either one of two options. Either continue up the mountain and try to stay alive the night. Or go down the mountain and you'll be safe. But to descend as light starts going, as visibility is going, is more difficult than to ascend. So he decided to ascend. But as he's climbing, he starts to become pitch dark. So now he's climbing in the dark, just feeling his way. And suddenly he lost his footing, he lost his grip, and he started falling. Total atheist. Doesn't believe in God. But suddenly he cried out into the darkness, Oh God, if you are there, save me. Save me. And suddenly he felt a rope around his waist, pulling him tight. And there he's hanging on the side of the mountain. So he was a total atheist up to this moment. Suddenly he knows God. But there's something else he knows about God. God, like everybody else, does nothing for free. You understand? So he starts saying, softly first, Are you still there, God? In the darkness. And he heard a solemn reply, Yes. Then he said, So what do you want, God? So the reply came back, I want you to cut the rope. Whoa, you want me to cut the rope? <laughs> I mean, I was just falling to my death now. This rope saved me. You want me to cut the rope? And this dilemma of wanting you to cut the rope is the dilemma of a man that all of us are facing every day. You wouldn't have had money in your pocket if Allah didn't give it to you. So now Allah is telling you, spend upon the poor. And now what are you saying? Whoa, I need the rope. I need the money. If I cut this rope, I'm going to fall to my death. There was no rope. If it wasn't for Allah. So if that same Allah tells you, cut the rope. Then what's the obvious answer? The answer of Iman. Not the answer of logic. The answer of Iman. What is the answer? The answer is, place your trust in Allah. Cut the rope. Cut the rope. But then the Isaiah sat on the side of the mountain with the dilemma. Do I cut the rope? Don't I cut the rope? And he spent the whole night like that. And it grew cold on the side of the mountain. And eventually he died. He died of exposure. In Afrikaans, Aitka verklim. Is that correct? It verklim. It was pitch dark. He couldn't see how high he was from the ground. But they discovered him the next day 
on the side of the mountain, apparently no higher than the average height of a roof of a house. So if he had cut the rope, he would have fallen only the distance onto his feet. Alhamdulillah. But you see, the darkness that he faces is the darkness that we face with regards to our future. Give the money. But if we tell her it more than I'm looking in the dark. You know, and you say, I don't know how far the ground is. Vas me niks geld. Wanna land me niks pochi. You understand? That's the problem that I'm sitting with. It's the exact same story. It's the exact same story. And Allah knows best. The point of narrating this entire story to you beside the side benefits now is the fact that even the atheist, there's a point where his atheism cannot bear him. And he reverts to his natural way. In psychology, we call this instinctual drift. If you apply enough pressure on an organism, even if the organism learns some extra behaviors, if you apply enough pressure on the organism, it will revert to its nature. You understand? So if my nature is the nature of a man, every child is born on the natural way. If I apply enough pressure on you, you will call out unto Allah. It is in your nature to call out unto Allah. As how it is in the nature of a lion to bite. You can raise a lion cub as a kitten. But if the enough pressure is applied to that lion cub, it will bite. It will resort and it will revert to being the predator that it was born to be. And since you are born to be a being of Iman, under the right pressure, in the right circumstance, you will resort to it. Will it be enough? No, it wasn't enough for Fir'aun. So it won't be enough for you at that moment in time. If that is your final moment, your moment of death, then it will have been too late. You understand? But if death is after that, then inshallah, it can still be accepted. So I'm telling you now, in number two, how to handle adversity, is given to what comes naturally. Call out unto you Allah. Beg you Allah. Be humble in front of Him. إِذَا غَشِيَهُمْ مَوْتٌ When they are covered by waves, there are like clouds above them. They call unto Allah, sincere in their devotion. So that is the kafir, the disbeliever. Suddenly a believer. Suddenly sincere in his calling. What about the person of Iman? What about the person that is making salah five times a day? If he's got the right to do that calling, and if he is able to attain to sincerity, why are you not calling? Why are you not sincere? When you are the one of Iman, you are more entitled to detection than him. Then number three, make istighfar for your sins and make tawbah. Yeah, there are many verses that I can quote that speaks about istighfar and tawbah and how it brings the mercy of Allah. But I rather just want to mention three things. Number one is the word tawbah. By definition, means to return. So when you commit a sin, you are distanced from Allah. And when you make tawbah, you repent, you return to closeness. Because istighfar means talabu satr. You are asking Allah to, to 
to close and cover your sin as if it never was. So that's why we have the statement also, Atta'ibu mina dhanbika man la, dhanbalahu. He who repents his sin is as one that has no sin at all. The sin is covered up in its entirety. Then thirdly, if you are committing sins, you are committing kabiras, major sins, or you are persisting in the commission of sahayr, minor sins, you are rendered a fasik, a profligate, and you are distant from the mercy of Allah. Allah leaves you to your own devices. But if you repent, you will return to your natural state of being a muttaqi, a person of taqwa. And what does Allah tell us in the Quran? Whoever has taqwa of Allah, who is Allah conscious, Allah will make an opening for him. Whatever your problem is, Allah will make a solution for you. Whatever it might be. And Allah will sustain you. From whence you do not know. Something is going to come your way. It's going to come from above. It's going to come from below. It's going to come from the right. It's going to come from the left. It's going to come. I don't know, but it's going to come. And Allah knows best. My dear brothers and sisters, finally, when faced with affliction, difficulty, one needs to make sabr. One needs to make sabr. And sabr doesn't mean being silent in the face of adversity. I married a very violent husband and he's smacking me left, right and center and I'm just sitting there silently. You understand? That is not the meaning of, sil- of sabr. Sabr means committed perseverance. I'm committed to change. I'm going to change the conditions. And I'm not going to give up at the first hint of difficulty. I just got married. Newly married girl, newly married boy. Clean up with difficulty, make my man, make my throw. I'm like, dump. Everything in today's time is throw away. Throw away nappies, throw away place, throw away husband. Throw away wife. You understand? Little bit of a problem, dump them. You understand? No. You must be committed. You understand? To the marriage that you've decided to enter into. And you must only give up on that marriage when you are decisively proven wrong. One little problem is not being decisively proven wrong. You must be committed. And I like to make an example here. Now, I'm, uh, okay, bad example, but let's make it anyway. Christians, when they eat breakfast, many of them like to eat bacon and eggs. Isn't it so? Right. Now, what's the difference between the pig and the chicken in the meal, bacon and eggs? The pig is committed. The chicken is involved. You understand? The pig gave his life. So let this believer can eat him now. So he's committed. While the chicken? He's just involved in the meal. You understand? So you need to remember, you need to be committed. Burning your boat, where did that statement come from? At Mount Jabalta, Jabal Tariq. When the Muslims were determined that they're going to win this battle, and they took the families of the boats, and they took the children of the boats, and then they burned the ships. You understand? There is no retreat. Yeah, there's either we're going to win today, or we're going to die today. You understand? We're going to get one of the two successes. Either we're going to win today, or we're going to be martyred today. That's the end of it. You understand? We are committed. And Allah knows best. Remember, by Kalinix. <coughs> by Kalinix.
and Allah knows best. So make sabr, be committed to a particular outcome and do everything that is in your might and engage in acts of worship, especially salah. So Allah tells us clearly in Quran, وَاسْتَعِينُوا بِالصَّبْرِ وَالصَّلَاةِ Seek aid, such as in times of difficulty. With the tool that Allah has given you, which is sabr, committed perseverance, and in salah. And then Allah reminds us, إِنَّهَا لَكَبِيرَةٌ إِلَّا عَلَى الْخَاشِعِينَ This remedy, is a remedy that is too difficult for most people. إِلَّا عَلَى الْخَاشِعِينَ Except to those that are humble and submit themselves unto Allah. Then finally to conclude, I just want to quote some verses from Surah Baqarah which will hit this particular issue, this topic, right on the spot, insha'Allah. So there doesn't need to be anything said after that. Let's conclude with Kalamullah, the statement of Allah from the Qur'an. وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ مِّنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُوعِ وَنَقْصٍ مِّنَ الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنفُسِ وَالثَّمَرَاتِ وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ Surely, we will test you with some fear. Some fear. What will this fear be like? What will this hunger be like? What will the losses of the dunya be like? One day when I'm sitting in Jannah, I love the nurse, I'm measly 65 years. One day I'm taking a nap next to my wife in Jannah, then I wake up, then I ask my wife, you know, while I was sleeping, I was thinking of a place known as Dunya, man. Is that real or was that a dream we had one day? Because after living in Jannah forever, hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years, billions of years, zillions of years, what is a 65 years? I can't even remember if it was real. You understand? So obviously Allah says, I will test you with some fear. You know what's real fear if Allah wants to give you real fear? So I will test you with some fear. I will test you with some hunger. I will test you with a deficiency, a slight drop in your money. In a slight drop in your unfus, the people around you, some people must die. You understand? We all must die. But we're giving you turns. Right? What samarati and your fruit in today's time investments? Sometimes your investments must suffer. But what? Wabashir sabirin. Clear tidings to those who are patient. Clear tidings to those who are committed and will persevere. الَّذِينَ إِذَا أَصَابَتُمْ مُسِيبًا Those who are afflicted by difficulty قَالُوا say, إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ ذَلِّ تُوَلَّةُ دُبِي بِلَوْنَ إِنَّا تُوَلَّةُ رِتَانَ أُولَئِكَ عَلَيْهِمْ صَلَوَاتٌ مِّنْ رَبِّهِمْ These people upon them be salutations from their Lord. وَرَحْمَةٌ and mercy. وَأُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْمُهْتَدُونَ These people, surely, they are the guided. And Allah knows best. <laughs>